All right, well, I am excited to bring one more message to you today that, that has been stirring in my heart really all throughout this year. Uh, something we did this year uh, that we hadn't really uh, done every year, but God spoke a word to me back, uh, wow, it was several months before the first of the year, that I just felt like it was a word for the church. It was a word for all of us. And that word is established. Now, next week, I cannot wait to just share with you uh, some things that, that God has put on my heart for 2019. But before we close out this year, I wanted to take one more Sunday to rally around this message of being established. We haven't talked about this in a few months, but today, I want you to just open your heart, open your mind, open your Bibles, and lean in with me to this thought of being established. And there's three ways today that I want to approach this topic. There's three ways that I believe God wants to establish your life. And I'm going to tell you them right up front in case you're a note taker. You can write these down and hopefully I'll manage the clock enough to get back to the third one by the end. But here they are. Established starting, established stability, and established stepping. God wants to help us in all of these areas. And I, I want to begin by just talking about the start. You know, when, when you look at uh, the outside of a, of a sign or a business, oftentimes you see those three letters, EST, period, and then a date behind it. Established in 1964 or established 2017. And, and when you see that, it communicates to you that at one point this was a dream. At one point, this was an idea. It was a concept. At one time, uh, people were maybe investing in it, but then there came a moment where it, it became something. It started. It was established. In a, and so it speaks to us about a beginning. And let me just say, God wants you to have a clear beginning. God wants every person that, that calls himself a follower in Christ to be able to say, I'm established in Christ. And so if you're here today and that's not your story and you go, I, I don't really know if I have a relationship with God. I don't know if, if I would call myself a Christian or, or a believer or maybe I'm somewhere on that spectrum, but I'm not sure. Listen, I want to encourage you today. You can settle the issue. You can know today before you leave this place that you are established in Christ. And if you already are and you go, this is me, point number one is probably not for me. It is for you. Pay attention because... God wants you and I to communicate what I'm about to say to other people. Listen, I, I, Pastor Chris mentioned earlier about the Christmas Eve service. I'm so excited about uh, this Christmas season. I'll tell you what excites me. When I look back on 2018, dozens of people have raised their hands to say, I want to accept Jesus in my heart. Dozens of people have at some point on a Sunday responded to the message of the gospel and said, I want to be established in Christ Jesus. And on Christmas Eve of this year, we broke an attendance record for our church. We had over 320 people here on Christmas Eve. Isn't that awesome? Amen. I'll tell you why I celebrate that. Not just because it's exciting to see the house packed. I celebrate that because I know, and obviously you know because you invited them, we know that if people will come to church, if they will get in the presence of God, if they will listen to the, the word of God and anointed worship, their life can be changed. Yeah. 
You know that. That's why you invite them. That's why we bring people. Because the potential is there for someone's life to be established in Christ and for them to be forever changed. But the reason that all the Christians need to pay attention to this explanation is because Jesus never told us to invite people to church. I know that's shocking. But he did tell us to invite people to know him. And so as much as I love when people invite their friends to church and their family to church, I love that because I know there's the opportunity now for them to meet Jesus. The reality is every one of us, we have an assignment from heaven. If you know Christ, you ought to make him known. And so I want to explain how you can know that you're established with Christ, that you started out right. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, and we're going to take a little trip down what's called the Romans road. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this. It says that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Now, I looked up the words. I want to make sure I understood it. So I looked up all in the Greek. And you know what it means? All. (laughs) All of us. So this verse tells us that everyone, whether you were raised in church or not, whether you think you're a good person or not, everyone has fallen short of the standard, which is the glory of God. It's a perfect standard, by the way, and we all fall short of it. Then he goes on in Romans 6, 23 to tell us why this is such a critical issue. It says, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, the penalty that must be paid because of you falling short and me falling short is death. But here's the good news. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we have this hope that we can be saved, that we deserve punishment, but because God loved us so much, and we just celebrated it this last week, that he sent his son, God's greatest gift, to the earth to save us, to to pay the price for our sins so that we wouldn't have to pay it ourselves. And then he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, here's the, here's the way to be saved. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Really? It's that easy? It's that easy. Because the hard work was done by Jesus. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The next verse tells us a little more. It says, it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I've heard people so many times, how do I know? Am I saved? I don't know if I'm saved. Do you believe? Because if you believe, you belong. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, maybe you've wondered before, why do preachers ask people to say prayers out loud? Because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I don't want you to just sit there and listen to me say it. I want you to say it for yourself. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. And so when you confess with your mouth, it's a declaration of faith. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says that there is the power of life and death in the tongue. Your words are powerful. The New Testament tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so there's something powerful that happens when you confess with your mouth and hear with your ears, you saying, Jesus is Lord. If you believe, you belong. And and you can be confident in that. 
Listen, some of you, 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 you got saved, but you're not confident. And so what happens is, is you look back on that experience in difficult times, and you start to second guess. You start to wonder, like, I, I don't know, did I, maybe I didn't pray it right. I mean, maybe, maybe I prayed it, but I wasn't sincere. And you got baptized, maybe, and you go, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe you didn't hold me under long enough. <laughs> like, maybe I should get baptized again. Like, I, I just don't know, am, am I saved? You know, and we start to question, and the reason we question is because we don't feel saved in that moment. But can I just encourage you today? I want to encourage you to know that you have an established start in Jesus if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that he is the Lord. I want to encourage you to just know this. We are not saved by our feelings. It's faith. We're not saved by our feelings. So look, if you don't, you don't feel your way into your beliefs, what you need to do is you need to believe your way into your feelings. So when you don't feel very saved, you go back to the promises of God's word. You go back to this reality of what his word says, that I'm saved not by works, not by what, not by what I did, or not what I can do. I'm saved by his grace through my expression of faith. I trust that Jesus can save me, and I can't save myself. You're not saved by your feelings. It's by your faith. J.D. Greer writes about a, a, a great way to visualize faith. Because here's what we do sometimes. You know, we, we picture the moment of salvation. And it's almost like our, our names are written down in heaven. The Bible calls it the Lamb's Book of Life. And, and your names are there in that book. But you can't see it. And, and so somewhere up there, you just hope that your name is written down. And that it didn't get like erased because of some of the things you did last week and you're just hoping it's still there that God wrote with permanent marker and you know you you go through these things but you don't really know well J.D. Greer gives us a great picture he says this remember your present posture is better proof than your past memory I'm going to say that again your present posture is better proof than your past memory So instead of looking at your salvation like, okay, well, there's some certificate with my name on it in heaven, and I hope they can find it when I get there. Instead, look at your salvation like a chair. When you got saved, you sat down in that chair. Now, your your present posture is better proof than your past memory. So the next time you start to wonder, am I saved? I don't know, does does God still accept me? Does God still love me? I don't know how I feel. Instead of basing it off your feelings and looking at your emotions, or instead of trying to go back and remember, like, did I pray hard enough? Was I old enough to really understand? Because some of us, let's be honest, you've been in church your whole life. You got saved 20 times before you were six years old. You don't remember when you got saved. You just, I mean, you cut your teeth on the back of a pew. You don't know. You've just been in church your whole life. And so sometimes we can begin to question. That's why our memory can fail us. But your present posture is better than your best memory. So here's what you need to do. If you start to question your salvation, just ask yourself, am I still sitting in the chair? Is is my full weight resting on the hope of Jesus to be my savior? Right now. In my life, is, is my hope in the fact that Jesus is my Savior? Don't worry about what you remember or, or what you don't remember or how significant you feel now based off what you used to feel like. Ask yourself this question today. Is my full weight resting on the promise of salvation in Christ alone? Because if it is, you're saved. 
You're saved. Now, if you don't, you say, man, I haven't been trusting God. I haven't even thought about the Lord. Well, then you need to do some soul searching today. But you can know. Let's establish it today. You can know I'm saved. I'm a child of God. I've been bought with the price of my Redeemer's precious blood. And no one and nothing can snatch me out of his hands. That ought to excite somebody on a Sunday morning. You're saved. And you know it. And every time the enemy wants to come and lie to you about who you are or what you're not, You have this established in your heart and life. You are a child of God. Now, let me talk about the second way that God wants to establish us. And I'm going to spend the most of our time on this one. God wants to establish stability. Now, if salvation is a chair, let me talk about a table for a moment. Because if you have a stable table, it doesn't wobble. Have you ever tried to eat off a table that wobbled? Come on. That'll ruin the best meal, right? That's so frustrating. And that's, that's the way a lot of people live their Christian life. They're just shaky, in and out, uncertain. God wants to make you like a stable table. And if you're going to be stable in your relationship with God, if you're going to be established moving forward in your faith, you need four legs to be on the table. I'm going to tell you what the four legs are. The first one is the commands. That's the word of God. The second one is communication. That's just prayer. The third is community. That's the church. And the fourth is consistency. Let me talk about the commands for just a moment. And, and I know it's the time where people make New Year's resolutions and, and you know people start thinking about what they're going to do in 2019 that they didn't do in 2018, and they can't remember if they even tried in 2017, but you know how it goes. Can I just challenge you? Before, before that list even gets going, make sure that all four of these legs are on the floor. And it begins with the commands of God's word, that you live your life every day in light of what this word says. The psalmist said this in Psalm 119, verse 11. He said, I have hidden your word in my heart, not under the backseat of my car. I hid it in my heart so that I might not sin against For some of you, that was a prophetic word. You're like, that's where it is. It's in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against God. What's he saying? He's saying that temptation is going to come. Why? Because we are all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. And you will again, by the way. But his word is in my heart so that when temptation comes, when sinful desire comes, the word of God comes alive on the inside of me. The word speaks. Maybe it's not an audible voice. It's louder than that. It's the prompting of the spirit on the inside of you that that causes you to want to course correct and and to adjust and to slow down and to reevaluate. The word of God speaks to your heart and to your life. The Bible says in Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. What's he saying? When I have the word of God, it guides me. The word of God gives me wisdom to know what to do in the moment I need to make the right decision. And by the way, This is how this works in my life. I can't always think of chapter and verse in the moment. I don't know if you're that way, but I I struggle to remember the address for some of these verses. But because I meditate on them, because I pray them, because I think about them and read them, all of a sudden, in a moment when I need wisdom, the word of God comes alive. And oftentimes I go, where where is that? Where is that verse? And I don't even know where that verse is. I just know it's the word of God. And it begins to direct my steps and guide my life. Jesus said it like this. 
Jesus said in John 14 to his disciples, he said, the advocate, talking about the Holy Spirit, the advocate whom the Father will send in my name, here's what he's going to do. He will teach you all things and he will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Now, Jesus is saying, here's here's how you're going to be able to function as my representatives. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you and he's going to remind you of the things that I taught you. How many of you know if the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of something in the moment you need it, you had to have been mindful of it before? He can't remind you about something you don't know. That's why we have to be committed to the commands of God's word. It's like, it's like this. A couple weeks ago, we had to order a new USB flash drive for our soundboard back there because at the beginning of our services, we have a digital mixer and they just stick a USB flash drive in the console and it records the whole service so that later we can take it out and, and we can publish the sermons online. Well, for whatever reason, that thing stopped working and it wasn't recording the sermons. And so how many of you know, if you're not recording the sermon, when you take that little device out and stick it in your computer, there's nothing there for you to copy and upload on the internet. And we couldn't get the thing formatted, right? So we just had to buy a new one. This is the way a lot of people's faith is. You have a relationship with God, but you need to reformat your thinking. You need to reformat your life around the commands of God's word because when the enemy comes in like a flood and when temptation comes and when you need guidance and you need direction, you're trying to recall the word of God and the Holy Spirit's trying to remind you of something, but it's not there. It's not on the hard drive. And God wants us to be led by his spirit, but we have to lean in with our whole hearts to the commands of God's word. You have to get God's word in your heart. In the book of Ephesians chapter six, Paul, he talks about the armor of God and he describes the fact that we're in a war. It's not a war with flesh and blood. It's a spiritual war, that there are powers and principalities and uh, in the heavenly realms all around us. And he says, if you're going to fight a spiritual battle, you need spiritual weapons. And he begins to describe in Ephesians six, the weapons of our warfare. He says, put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Have your feet shod with the gospel of peace and and take up the shield of faith. But then he says this, verse 18, I think. He says, and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the only offensive weapon mentioned. Listen, if you're going to advance, if you're going to gain ground, if you're going to make progress in your faith and in the plan and purpose God has for your life, you need an offensive weapon. You need the word of God. And so he communicates to us how important that is. And I just, again, I want to challenge you. Before you make any resolutions for what you're going to do with your time, make sure that you prioritize the commands of God. That's one leg on the table. Let me tell you about the second. The second leg is conversation. And when I say conversation, I just mean prayer. I mean talking to God. Now, all this month through the Christmas season, we've been celebrating the nearness of God. We even called our series, He is Here, because we wanted to celebrate the reality that that's what Christmas means, that God came near. Romans 5 tells us that through one man, Adam, in his disobedience, we were all separated from God, but in the same way, through one man's righteous obedience, Jesus, we can all have restored relationship with God. 
And can I just say to you today, there is nothing more important to the heart of God than a relationship with you and I. To have restored fellowship, that's the reason that God sent Jesus into the world. More than anything else, he wants to have a relationship with you. You say, how do you know that? I know it because the thing that matters the most to you is the thing that you invest the most in. Whether it's your time or your energy or your money, the thing that matters the most to you gets the lion's share of your resources. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2, that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. There's no higher price to pay than the cross. He laid his life down. And the reason that it says he did it was for the joy set before him. Have you ever thought, what was the joy that Jesus was looking forward to? I mean, was it, was it to be able to be in heaven with his father? Was it to, to be surrounded by the angels? Was it to have eternal life? No, I don't think that's what he was thinking about because Jesus had all those things before he came. All of that existed in eternity past. The only thing that he didn't have that he wanted to have was a restored relationship with fallen man. That's why he endured the cross. And for the joy that was set before him, he took our pain and our punishment on that cross. Why? Because God wants to have a relationship with you. Listen, you have the opportunity to have a conversation with the creator of the universe. And yet some of us, we, we, we limit our conversation with God to the degree of a 911 operator, right? I mean, it's, it's just a crisis intervention. That's it. We don't want to spend time. Let's just get to the details. Here's where I live. Here's what I need. How quick can you get here? And that's how some of us pray. God, here's what I need. Here's where I'm at. Could you get here quickly? And, and problem solved. We, we, don't, we don't call back to say thanks, right? Like, you, thanks for doing your job. That's your job. You did your job. And that's the way we deal with God. But listen, any relationship... Any relationship, heavenly or earthly, that you're going to cultivate has to have good communication. You got to talk. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's not, it's not, it's not a Christmas list. It's not just sending him a message about what you want. It's a conversation. Prayer is, is less about getting what you want and more about getting God. He wants to know you. He wants to restore fellowship with you. And so we have to pray and we have to seek God on a regular basis. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, and when you pray, three different times, he was telling his disciples, and when you pray, he never said, if you pray, he just assumed that, listen, if you love God, you're going to talk to God. And yet for reasons of busyness, or distraction, or a multitude of other things, we fail, we fail to put this leg on the ground. And, and we're not stable. And, and it's why, because finally, you know, the Holy Spirit begins to deal with your heart, and, and you begin to call on God. And in that moment, you realize, man, I haven't called on God since the last time I was in a crisis. I haven't, I haven't come to the altar and prayed in so long. I haven't gotten up early to just 
talk to God. I haven't turned the radio off on my commute and just talked to the Lord in so long. And we just, we let a thousand other things become more important. And like any relationship, the integrity of it breaks down when communication ceases. We got to get this leg on the ground. If we're going to be stable, you got to have the commands of God, but you also have to have a conversation with God. Listen, I, I know how this works. I've done this for years. First of the year, some of you, you've made up your mind already. You're going to read through the Bible in 2019. Maybe you downloaded the app. Maybe you got the little bookmarks that you're tucking in. I don't know. I've done it before. You've done it before. I don't know if you got it right this year, but next year, I'm going to read the Bible the whole way through. If you can do it, great. If you enjoy doing your devotion that way, go for it. I think every Christian ought to read through the whole Bible. But listen, you know what would be better than you just getting up every morning and and speed reading through four or five chapters of the Bible to try to keep up with this little spiritual discipline of reading the Bible in a year? What would be way better than that is for you to read about three or four verses and then to close your eyes, begin to lean in with your heart, say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me today? What are you trying to teach me from these verses? And instead of taking 15 minutes to speed read, take about five minutes to read and then take another five minutes to listen and then pull out a journal and begin to write down what the Lord tells you. You might get to the end of 2019 and go, well, I didn't read through the whole Bible in a year, but you'll have a whole journal full of revelation that the Holy Spirit has given to you that you'll be able to say at this time next year, I know how to hear from God. I mean, the preaching's great, but I don't need a sermon. I know how to hear from God. I open my Bible every day, and God speaks to me. He downloads what I need for the moment I'm going to need it. And when temptation comes, and when crisis comes, and when I am tempted to go the way I'm not supposed to go, there's something on the hard drive. The Holy Spirit begins to teach me and remind me. And God's Word keeps me from sin. Have a conversation with God. Make, make up your mind today to say, I'm going I'm to talk to the Lord. I'm going to talk to the Lord. I'm going to pray. Can I give you this encouragement? If you'll pray, God will answer. That, that's why I wanted to sing that verse earlier. And we, we said it together. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. He's so good. He's so good to me. And some of you, even when you were singing it, you were going, not my prayer. You don't believe, your experience tells you that's not always true, but I'm telling you it is true. God always answers prayer. The reason that you don't think he does is because you aren't looking at all of the answers. See, sometimes God answers directly and that's the ones we look for, right? I mean, that's why we have people come to the altar and when they're sick, we anoint them with oil and we pray over them and we don't say, Lord, would you help them to recover over the course of the next seven weeks? No, we say, God, heal them. And then we ask him, how do you feel? Because we want God to answer directly. And we love that. And God does that. And sometimes his answers are direct, but sometimes they're delayed. Not by his watch, but by ours. Sometimes we've prayed and you know what? God did answer. And his answer's on the way. And you're getting frustrated because it hasn't happened yet. But listen, God's timing is perfect. The answer is on the way. God heard you. And the answer is delayed. Sometimes, though, we think God doesn't answer prayer because the answer is different. And when we ask God to intervene, what we really mean is, God, do what I'm asking you to do. 
And we assume that we know what's best. And so when God answers and the answer's different, we think he didn't hear us. We think he didn't show up. You're going, God, I asked you for that job. What happened? And God's like, I saved you from a a whole lot of heartache. You didn't need that job. But because his answer was different than what we wanted, we think he didn't answer. But God is the author of our lives. He's the perfecter of our faith. He goes before us. He knows the best version of your story. And so sometimes his answer is different. And sometimes the answer is denied. Can I just tell you, God has the prerogative to say no. Sometimes you pray and you think God didn't answer. Oh, he answered. It was a big fat no. (laughs) I got to tell you, I thank God that he didn't give me everything I asked for. When I think about some of the stupid stuff I prayed for, especially when I was young, man, thank God that he knows better than me and that he can give me a, a no in response to my self-centered and short-sighted prayers. Listen, God's answers are, are not always direct. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're delayed, sometimes they're different, and sometimes they're denied. But God answers prayer. And if you're going to be established in your faith. If you're going to have a stable table, you got to have the commands of God and you got to have communication with God. And the third leg is this, you got to have community. When I say community, I'm talking about the church. You got to be a part of what God is doing in the earth. There's only one organization that Jesus ever started. Only one that he guaranteed would last forever. It's the church. It's the church. And can I just say to you today, an established believer is engaged in Christian community. An established believer, somebody that's grounded in their faith, they're engaged in Christian community. I, I do not understand these people that say, I love the Lord. I'm just, I just don't really care for church that much. What is heaven going to be like for those people? <laughs> like, for real. I mean, what? What is heaven going to be like? When we get there and, and we walk into this incredible worship service. Now, now, I know we can't produce a service on that level, but I really am concerned for people that say they love God and they really want nothing to do with the people of God. Reality is, this is the dress rehearsal, okay? I mean, go ahead and give it your best amen. Give it your loudest hallelujah now. This is the dress rehearsal for the real service that's coming. And if you're established in your faith in Christ, you're going to want to be a part of Christ's body. You're going to want to be a part of Christ's family. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible describes the, the life and the lifestyle of the first century church. It's such a key text because it shows us what's, it's what's in the secret sauce for how a body of believers could reach the known world with the gospel, which they did and what is still our mission in our generation. How did they do it? The Bible tells us what it was like for those believers. In verse 42 in Acts 2, I think is the key verse. We looked at this a few months ago, but I want to read it today. Here's what it says about those early believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. There's three things in that one verse that they devoted themselves to. First, it was to leaders, to the apostles, to spiritual authority. Secondly, it was to learning, to the teaching. They wanted to know what was right. They devoted themselves to learning. But the third thing is living life together. 
living life together. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to breaking bread together, to praying for one another. Can I just ask you today, challenge you a little bit here? How are your Christian relationships? Do you have Christian friendships right now? Now listen, I didn't ask if you have Christian friends because you probably have some Christian friends. Do you have Christian friendships? Because listen, if you're just friends with people that love Jesus and you love Jesus, but you never talk about Jesus, you never pray for one another, you never encourage one another in Jesus, that's just a friend who's a Christian. That's not a Christian friendship. See, the Bible word is koinonia. It's fellowship. It's sharing together. It's participation with one another. It's contributing into each other's life. So the question is, do you have any Christian friendships? God wants you to be a part of what he's building. And it's more than just showing up in the same room once a week. Healthy Christians want to be with other believers. They want to talk about the Lord. They want to pray for one another. They want to serve one another. They want to encourage one another. I want to challenge you. Make up your mind to be established in a community of faith in this next year. So you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to be a part of what God is doing in the world. Jesus said, if you want to know how you ought to pray, pray like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. You know, the only place I see that the will of God is being done in the earth as it is in heaven is through the church. It's through God's people. If you need to be a part of that, so make up your mind. Say, God, I, I want to I be stable. I want to be established, so I'm going to be planted in the church. You know, Jesus never taught a leadership class. You ever think about that? No, what did he say? Come and follow me. They said, we want to know where you're staying. He said, well, come on. He invited them to be with him. It, it, you might not like this, but God actually wants people in your life that annoy you. Don't look at them. They're here though, right? I mean, come on. Let's just address the elephant in the room. Not everybody in the church is your best friend, right? There's probably some people that get on your nerves a little bit. There's people that, man, they got personality quirks, and, and they're, just, they're just different. They, you, just, you just don't, they, you know, you try to sit on the other side of the sanctuary when they come in. But listen, I'm kind of joking, but I'm totally serious. The Bible says this. The Bible says that as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen his friend. And we love that verse. That's a verse, a verse that we quote all the time in the church. That, what does that mean? That means we're going to make each other better. We're going to sharpen each other. But have you ever actually sharpened a knife? It takes a lot of friction. And so when we say, ah, these people rub me the wrong way. I don't really want to be a part of the church. I don't need to be a part of a church to love Jesus. I got my own thing going. You know, I can worship God on the golf course. I can worship God at the fishing hole. I don't really need to be a part of that. I can just open my Bible. I can have some me time with God. You are missing out on God's intended process for your perfection. You need people in your life that you can grow and journey in your faith with. And you don't have to agree with them all the time to be saved. You just sigh of relief right there. Good, because <laughs> I didn't really agree with you that much on that last point. <laughs> you don't have to agree all the time. But you know what you got to do? You got to be committed. You got to be, be plugged in. 
You got to say, God, I'm putting this, this foot on the floor. I'm going to be a part of the community of faith. I'm going to be committed to the commands of God's word and to conversation with God on a regular daily basis, not just in the crisis moments. And I'm going to be plugged into a faith community. Now, let me tell you about the short leg on the table. This is the one that causes the problems. The fourth leg is consistency. I mean, come on, we're here. We made it this far, right? So it's easy to say amen about, you know, when you're in church, but consistency is where we often fall short. That we, we know what we should do, and maybe we even start out doing it, but we don't stick with it. Paul the Apostle dealt with that. He was frustrated at this reality. At one time, he was getting ready to go back out on another journey with his uh, partner in ministry, Barnabas. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark with us so that he can go. And Paul said, there's no way I'm taking John Mark. He said, I'm not taking him with us because he deserted us the last time, and he went back to Thessalonica. Like he, he left us, and Barnabas wanted John Mark to go so bad, and Paul refused to let him go that they parted ways. Paul took Silas, and he moved on into Acts chapter 16, and Barnabas took John Mark, and they went in the other direction. Why? Because Paul said, I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't have people going halfway, people that say they're with me, and then we get out there, and then, and then they're not consistent. At, at the end of his ministry, at the end of his life, he was in a prison and he's writing the letter we call 2 Timothy. And he's writing to this young pastor. And, and he, he kind of gets personal in part of the letter. And he says to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, who was mentioned at several other places in the Bible, he's one of their ministry partners. He says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. He left me. He left me here. I, I, Titus... I mean, Timothy, I need you to come. I need somebody that I can trust. I need somebody that's not going to just stay there with me, and then when the going gets tough, they bail. I need somebody that's going to be with me. So Paul learned through personal experience that there's only one thing that develops perseverance in the life of a believer. And honestly, I wish there was three things. I wish there was five things or even two things, but I looked, and I can't find anything except this one thing in the Bible that develops perseverance. And he wrote about it in Romans chapter five, verse three. He said, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Why would you glory in suffering? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Suffering produces perseverance. I, I guess the old adage is true. No pain, no gain. It's suffering, it's resistance, it's pushing back that develops perseverance in our life. James said, it, the brother of Jesus, he said it like this. He said, consider it pure joy. Why would anybody be joyous about persecution and suffering? Because he understood something. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because... You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He could see the, the end result of just being consistent. In fact, down in verse 12 of that same chapter, he said this. He said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
You, you got to just, you got to endure the test. You got to stand your ground. Joyce Meyer said it like this. She said, perseverance is just outlasting the devil. And, and that's true, isn't it? Sometimes it's just holding, it, holding on for one more night. It's just sticking it out for one more fight. It's just knowing that, you know what, the devil's coming against me, but I just got a little don't quit in my attitude, and I'm just going to hold on. In spite of what it looks like, in spite of how it feels, the Bible says in Proverbs that a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. That's consistency. Another great theologian, I think his name is Rocky Balboa, said, it's not how many times you get knocked down, but it's how many times you get back up. And he was right. Some of y'all are going to Google that guy later. That name sounds familiar, but I... <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Consistency. Consistency just says, you know what? I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to I'm going to trust God. The Bible word is remain. I'm just going to remain. Listen, this isn't fancy, flashy faith, but this is where the rubber meets the road. I want to show you John chapter 15. Jesus is talking about how, how to endure. He's talking about how to, how to be established as a follower of Jesus. See if you pick up on the theme. Chapter 15 of John, beginning in verse 4, he says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Next verse. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and they're thrown into the fire and burned. Next verse, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Next verse, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I think you get the emphasis of what he's trying to say. There is a consistency. There is a steadiness that is necessary to be established, to be stable in our relationship with God. The word picture in the Old Testament, and I love this picture in Isaiah chapter 61, of a person that just trusts God and stays with God, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, is that we are called oaks of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness. The Bible says in Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus quoted this at the beginning of his ministry. But then Isaiah begins to say all the things that God anointed Jesus to do. I want to pick it up in verse 3. Here's some of the things Jesus is anointed to do. It says, provide for those 
who grieve in Zion. For some of you, that describes your 2018. It's been tough. It's been grieving. There's been loss, maybe loss of loved ones, and and you've grieved, but the Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus to provide for those who grieve. Somehow, you, you, you you didn't disappear on us. I mean, even in the midst of sadness and sorrow and maybe loneliness, you just kept showing up. You just kept being faithful. You just were consistent. Why? Because the Lord is anointed to provide for you, even in your grief. It goes on to say, he bestows on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. When people were mourning or sad or repentant, they would put ashes on them physically. They would cover themselves with ashes. And and the Lord says, I've shown up to give you beauty in place of those ashes. He says, the oil of joy instead of mourning. Some of you, that's been your story. There's no reason from from a natural standpoint, there's no reason you should be here celebrating today, declaring he is faithful, he is glorious, he is for us. In the natural, it looks like God forgot about you, but for some reason, you keep showing up Sunday after Sunday with that silly grin on your face. Why? Because he gave joy instead of mourning. There's something that... There's something that's deeper than what you see on the surface level about these kind of Christians. It says he gave them a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You could have turned inwards months ago. You could have have just been self-absorbed in your own pity party. And instead, God clothed you with a garment of praise. You got up this morning and you said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I don't care about the diagnosis. I don't care about the problems. It's Sunday. It's the Lord's day. He came out of the tomb on this day, and I have resurrection life, so I'm taking on the garment of praise today. There's something about a people that just stay consistent. And here's what it is about them says they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. God planted you here for a purpose, and the purpose is that he would be glorified, that people would look at you as stable, as, as unmovable, an oak of righteousness. People look at your life and they go, man, what, what is it about that person? Why, why are they so stable? Why is their life so established when everything else that can be shaken is shaken? And while other people are falling apart, there you are. You're, you're committed to the commands of God, and you just stay plugged into his word every day in conversation with God. Even if the only conversation you can have is, is to cry or to complain or to say, God, this doesn't make sense. He's just glad you're still talking to him about it. And you stay plugged into conversation, and you stay connected to community, you don't isolate yourself and feel unworthy to be in God. Well, if you knew what was going on in my life, you wouldn't want me there. No, no, you lean in so that the church can bear your burden with you and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. And you say, I'm going to be a part of this community on my best days and on my worst days. And if I'm having a hard time, somebody else can pick me up because I'm going to be there to lift up a praise in your low valley. And then you just make up your mind to be consistent, to get all four legs on the floor and say, I'm not going anywhere. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod and staff are with me. They comfort me, and you prepare a table for me, even in the presence of my enemies. And my cup overflows. It's a cup of joy. It overflows today. Why? Because I'm established. I'm stable. Let me give you the third thing quickly. We'll close with this. 
The third way that God wants to establish your life, maybe the one that we pray about the most, is in our stepping. One of the scriptures that God spoke to me about last year as we were developing this this theme and this idea for 2018 was Psalm 37, verse 23. And at the time I was reading it out of the ESV translation, so that's what I want to read to you out of now. It says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. That's a promise that you can hold on to. The steps of a man or a woman are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. God wants to establish your steps. In fact, back in January of this year, I said, let's pray this together. God, establish my ways. Establish my steps. And God wants to do that. But here's the frustration, and we've all felt it. We want God to do it right now with 2020 vision, high definition, 4K resolution. God, show me the next five years, right? Like, God, show me exactly how this is going to unfold. Give me all the details. And God doesn't do it that way. Oftentimes, we we ask God to to give us the the full picture, and God said, I want to establish your steps. And one step at a time sometimes is all we get. His word is a lamp to our feet. It's a lamp, not stadium lighting. It's just a, it's a lamp. And sometimes the only light we have is, is the one that shows us where to put our next foot because we walk by faith and not by sight. Just give you an example because this, we've, we've all been here. You look at the story of the Israelites. 400 years of captivity in Egypt. It's the Exodus story. And the Bible says, God said, I have heard their cries. Their cries have reached my ears. And he promises he's going to deliver them. And so what does he do? He he raises up Moses. He he calls him to come back out of the wilderness. And Moses goes and he speaks to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Ten plagues hit Egypt supernaturally. God brings them to the break point to where finally Pharaoh says, get out of here. And they leave and Miriam grabs her tambourine and she begins to play and the people praise. And then they come to the Red Sea and they can't do anything about that. But God steps in again. He parts the Red Sea. The Egyptian army tries to chase them. They can't do anything about that. But God closes the waters and drowns the Egyptian army. Then they get over there on the other side, free people for the first time. And God gives them the Ten Commandments supernaturally, carves it with his own finger on a stone. And then God gives them three festivals that they're going to celebrate every year. And this is awesome, man. God is good, except we're running out of food. And so God just makes food fall from the sky and come up off the ground. He gives them manna. They go, this is amazing, but God, it's kind of hot out here in the desert and we're thirsty. And so God causes water to come out of a rock. Over and over, God is supernaturally providing for them. And so when you see that God has been faithful, it's frustrating that that you can't see what he's going to do next. And God speaks to them in the middle of this journey in Exodus 23. And this is a verse that some of you, you need to highlight it in your Bible because it's a good reminder of how God wants to lead our steps. It says in Exodus 23, verse 30, little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. Little by little. Why, God? I mean, you've done all this. 
I mean, this has all been miraculous. It's been supernatural. You've done all this. Why can't we just go in? I mean, we're ready. We're ready. Why can't we just go in and possess the land? All these 12 tribes, they want their inheritance. They want their own land. But it's little by little. And God tells them why. He says, little by little, I'm going to do, do it until you've increased enough to where you can possess it. And here's the reality. You can't handle knowing what God has in store for you right now. God knows better than you. We want God to tell us how it's all going to unfold. But God says, look, you're not there yet. Your faith isn't there. Your trust in me isn't there. The circumstances aren't in place. You'd botch the whole thing up if I told you everything that I was going to do. You need to learn to let me order your steps. And you need to know that when God orders your steps, he also orders your stops. And sometimes little by little means just wait. Means it's not going to be as fast as you want it to be. But God is in control. God is leading your life, and he wants to establish your steps in this next year. And the way to do it is to delight yourself in the Lord. That's what that verse says that we read out of Psalms. Psalm 37 verse 4 says the same thing in a different way. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, the key is in where your heart is. You want to know the answer to the question, what's God's will for my life? First, ask yourself, where am I sitting? Am I resting my full weight on Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord? Is my heart's desire to bring him glory, to to be that oak of righteousness for the splendor of God? Because if it is, I mean, if my heart's desire is to honor the Lord, well, here's the good news. He's going to give me the desires of my heart. He's going to give you your heart's desire if your desire is to honor him. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. St. Augustine said it even more emphatically. He wrote this. He said, love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. I got to be honest, that's almost a little scary to say out loud. Love God and do whatever you please. Because right away, we go, oh, no, we're going to mess this up. Like, we, we, we don't want to tell that to our kids. Just love God and do whatever you please. No, no, no. We like rules. We like structure. Like, don't, don't, don't get crazy now. But understand, it's about the heart. That's why, you know, my wife and I, we don't, we don't ever push our kids to uh, follow our footsteps in the ministry. Some people do. They just figure, hey, my granddaddy was a preacher. My dad was a preacher. I'm a preacher. You're going to be a preacher. No, no. What we do is we encourage them to love God with all their heart. And then follow your dreams. Because here's the goodness of God. That thing that you want to do, whatever it is, that that thing that you, oh, I would love to do this, man. I I just want to, if God has your heart, that was his dream for you before it was a seed thought in your mind. That's the goodness of God. He's not out to rob your joy. He's not out to steal your thunder or say, well, if you're going to serve me, you're going to go on a cargo freight loader to Africa, and you're going to serve some people over there, and you're going to eat bugs, and you know, people are like, oh, I don't want to trust God with my life. God loves you. God created you, not just your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your nose. He gave you your personality, your emotions, your intuition. He had all that in mind when he formed you for his purpose and for his glory. So if he has your heart, he can trust you with your dreams. So don't be paralyzed by fear. I don't know what God wants me to do. What do you want to do? 
If you're still seated in the right seat, then go for it. Should I take that job? Do you want that job? Are you going to glorify Jesus from that position? Then take the job. Go after it because God wants to delight. He wants to delight in giving you the desires of your heart if you delight in his ways. So we're going to do something at the end of this service. I want to pray for you. Uh, In fact, I want to pray with you. But I want want to ask you to to help me here because the Lord made this very clear to me how we're supposed to end this service. If you can, would you just stand with me all, all over the room? God wants to give you... He wants to establish you. And maybe you're here today. I don't know. Maybe somebody's here today and you need that established starting point. You don't know where you stand with God. Maybe you've been unsure. Or maybe you did go through the steps. You know, you prayed a prayer. You asked Jesus to come into your life. But you've just been plagued with doubt. You just always wonder. I, don't, I just don't know. I mean, if I were to die today, I don't know if Jesus would accept me. And for you, God wants to establish the start for you. If you don't have a relationship with God or you're unsure about your relationship, that is your prayer today. I mean, come on, that's what you need to pray. It's more important than anything else to say, God, I receive your salvation. I receive forgiveness. I accept Jesus. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart. I'm saved. Listen, you can have that assurance today. God wants to make every one of us oaks of righteousness. And he wants us to be established. So for some of you, your prayer needs to be, God, you know, the the wobbly leg at my table is the commands. I I have not read my Bible. I haven't listened to my audio Bible I haven't made time. My prayer life, maybe you just say, you know what? I I don't really, I don't talk to God as a friend. I just, I just complain to him every once in a while or, or dial the emergency hotline every once in a while, but I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe for some of you, stability is community. You say, you know what? This next year is going to be different. As for me and my house, Joshua 24, 15, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit to be a part of what Jesus is building. Some of us, it's consistency. You just got to endure for the joy before you. But here's how we're going to pray. And we won't be long in doing this. But if you're able, I want to ask you to step out from where you are and to meet me at the altar. I feel like there's something significant on this last Sunday of the year in us coming and presenting ourselves to the Lord. Would you come and join me? Everyone, just come. We're going to fill this altar, everyone that can. Just come for a closing prayer. Move, move right in close so there's room for everyone. I, I just believe this is a moment that, that can be significant in our heart and in our life. I said it earlier in the service, but I believe oftentimes if things are going to start well, it depends on finishing well. Just fill, fill in, fill in. And if you would, would you just, just lift your hands toward the Lord for a moment right where you are? Just as a sign of of surrender, as a sign of yielding to God. God, in this moment, we just, Lord, we want to posture ourselves, God, today. In In a place of surrender. Lord, we come to the altar today. 
asking you to establish us in Christ Jesus. Look, if you're here today and you're not sure about your relationship with God, right where you stand, just begin to invite Jesus into your heart and life. Begin to just declare with your mouth, believe with your heart, Jesus is my Lord. I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord. God, I pray for your church today. Lord, that throughout the the coming days and even into next year, that God, you would just make us stable and strong. Oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord to display the splendor of your glory. God, that when people see us, when they see our life and the way we just serve you, in the midst of the good and the difficult seasons, that, God, you would be glorified, Lord, because we're, we're tapped in to that deep root. We're, we're tied in. We remain in the vine. That even in the drought, even in the wilderness seasons, God, there's, there's a, a flow of nourishing life that comes from you. Thank you, God, today that you're giving clarity about direction. Lord, order our steps. God, help us to see today that if we'll just fall madly in love with you, if we would just make you the object of our affection and our desires and that we would wake up each and every day purposed to glorify you, that God, you'll give us the desires of our heart, that we can pursue with confidence the dreams that you've birthed in us. God, I just pray today that, Lord, this would be a moment. Lord, let it be etched on our hearts, that God, you're establishing some things in our lives. And we'll never be the same, God. We'll never look back. God, today, I pray that as we move into this new year, that God, we would move into it with eyes fixed on Jesus. Church, here's how I felt the Spirit wanted me to pray for us at the close of this service. I know for some of you, this is This has been a really tough year. And and for others of you, maybe this has been your best year. But Paul, the apostle, said this. He said, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's what I feel like the Lord wants us to do on this last Sunday of the year. Whatever's in the rearview mirror might be gains, might be losses, but it's forgotten. We can learn from it. We can praise God for it. But we're not depending on it. That's what Paul meant when he said, whatever is behind me is forgotten. I'm straining toward what's ahead. And I want to challenge you right now, where you're standing, in your mind, just, just put it behind you. Whatever it is. It might, it might have been great. It might have been terrible. Say, God, I, I'm not going to go into 2019 with my eyes fixed on the past right now God we just fix our eyes on you we're looking forward our eyes are fixed on the joy that is set before us and God we can deal with whatever comes Lord we recognize today that you are the only one present that knows what we need tomorrow you're the only one here that knows what we're going to face what we're going to go through what we're going to deal with You know about the blessings that are right around the corner, and you know about the struggles that we don't even think to ask you about. But God, our eyes are fixed on you, and we're trusting you today to establish our steps for your glory and your honor. 
in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen.